Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Just to set the scene for you a little bit here, it is Thursday, um, mid-afternoon, around the time I normally start recording the Arscast. And of course, I have to make a podcast that is relevant to you, not today, Thursday, but tomorrow, Friday, which is today or whenever it is you're listening to this over the weekend. Normally, this is not a problem because you talk about what's gone on in midweek. You look ahead to what's happening at the weekend. You know, you can base your discussion around on the pitch matters and off the pitch matters because there's usually nothing quite so pressing as there is today because we are waiting, of course, for Mikel Arteta to be announced officially as the new Arsenal head coach. As yet, that has not happened. But we're expecting it to happen maybe later today, maybe tomorrow. So by the time you listen to this, Arteta should be the new head coach or will very soon be the new head coach of Arsenal. So all the discussion and all the chat has to take place based on that assumption. So that's where we are. A little bit earlier on today, I spoke to James Benj of Football London to talk all about Mikel Arteta and to talk about what he might bring to the job. Again, we had to sort of caveat the the discussion at the start um, with the information that, as yet, you know, he hadn't been made uh, head coach. We think it's all agreed between Arsenal and Arteta. Man City, they're the ones who are holding things up, it seems. They're saying, no, we haven't heard from Arsenal. No, we're not going to negotiate. We want the compensation. No, they still haven't called us. Who are Arsenal? What's football? Who are we? It just seems um, the delay, such as it is, is coming from their side. And of course, it means now, given that the announcement won't happen until either later today, Thursday, or uh, at some point on Friday, that Freddie Jumberg is going to be taking charge of the team for Saturday's game against Everton, which means that Arteta will look on from the stands as his new club, the one that he is in charge of, take on one of his old clubs. He spent uh, many years there, of course, as a player. So it would have been quite an interesting first game for him to uh, take charge of. It's not to be his first game, I think, uh, will be Bournemouth away next week. And then he's got the small matter of two home games, pretty easy home games, one against Chelsea, one against Manchester United. Um, Baptism of fire, anybody? I don't quite know. But look, that's where we are at the moment. And it is all quite, you know, it's a hectic time of the year, this anyway, isn't it? There's work to be done. There's all the Christmas stuff to get on top of. I haven't done anything, not a single thing in terms of uh, Christmas and 
bits and pieces that you have to get for everybody. So I'm kind of uh, behind schedule, way behind schedule. And I don't have very much time left in which to do anything because tomorrow's a mental day. And Saturday, of course, Arsenal are playing. And then Sunday, maybe Sunday, who knows? And to then have like a managerial change, mid-season managerial change for the first time in quite when, I don't know. Is it since George Graham? Must be. I know we had some caretakers. Stuart Houston obviously came in. Then there was... Bruce Riach, but that was an end-of-season job. And Arsene Wenger, even then, even though he announced it mid-season, well, not mid-season, towards the end of the season, it was an end-of-season job for him. So mid-season managerial change is not something we have been geared up to, but it is what is happening. So let's do the chats that I had earlier with James Bench from Football London. And maybe by the time you finish listening to this in the real world that I'm in right now, something will have happened and I can announce it after you have finished listening to this particular chat bit. I might take a break and come back to this later. There might be more chance of me, you know, ringing the the bell. The white smoke. Isn't that what they do when a a new pope is announced? Black smoke. They haven't made their minds up yet. Is it going to be Sam Allardyce? Is he going to be the new pope? No, it's not going to be Pope Sam. But we're looking for white smoke. White smoke sounds like an 80s metal band. Look, let's get on with the chats and we'll uh, come back after this. Now, time to chat all things Mikel Arteta, and with me to do exactly that is James Benj from Football London. Hi, James. Hi, yeah. Look, uh, we have to caveat this discussion by saying we're having it at 9 o'clock a.m. on Thursday morning, and there hasn't been anything official official yet in terms of uh, Mikel Arteta's appointment, but we expect it to happen, and certainly uh, in the history of Arsenal Football Club, no podcast has ever jinxed a managerial appointment, so we can be quite sure that this is going to go ahead. Oh, so are we getting Emery back? <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden David Ornstein's going to drop a Marcelino really impressed Arsenal with a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> oh, God. The fear is real. Oh. I don't even want to look at his timeline now. No. Um, well, look, let, let's talk Arteta. And I am, I have to say, quite excited and curious and... Uh, up for this appointment in many ways, which I'll maybe discuss with you a little bit later on. But as a starting point, I think it would be remiss of us not to step back and look at it objectively a bit and think it's a bit mental at the same time. It is It is absolutely bizarre. I mean, I, you know, I was writing a piece about this yesterday. I don't think there's been a team in England at least uh, you know, of the sort of big teams that has ever in the Premier League era has really come close to being like, let's just give it to this guy that's never managed before. I mean, you know, you have players sort of, you know, stepping into the brink briefly, like obviously like Arsenal just had with Freddie Jungberg. But mm. to go, this is our guy for the long haul. No, we've never seen him manage a football match, uh, except one, I think, that he did uh, against Leon. Um it's it is absolutely mental. It, it's the sort of thing though that kind of makes you admire Arsenal uh, and makes you feel like it, it's just a club that's a bit more in touch with it, it, its roots and its values, if such things really exist. It it's the sort of thing that Arsene Wenger would do, and I just I, I find it incredibly exciting. It, 
it's like going to see a film that you don't really know much about, but everyone's telling you this is the best film or the best band or whatever that you've seen in years. You know, if everyone is telling you, if Guardiola's telling you, if Wenger's telling you, if Pochettino's telling you, this guy's going to be a great manager, it's really exciting to be like, cool, we get the first look at him. Yeah. It's a mad risk. It is a mad all, risk, yeah. But go for it. Yeah, there is an element of going for it. And I do think that, you know, we as a football club and as fans of the football club need to maybe just um, step back a bit and take stock and realise where we are and, you know, being quite brutal about it, how far we have fallen in terms of what the expectations are for our season. Because, you know, in August, we were, I think, quite reasonably expecting Arsenal to compete at the very least for a top four finish. We weren't expecting to be where we are right now, and there are myriad reasons as to why that's happened. But, you know, I think we we look at people like Ancelotti, people like Allegri, <clears throat> that kind of thing, and we think, well, why haven't we gone for somebody like that? And, you know, it's not that they couldn't do a job. I just wonder if the state we're in right now, there is this need to kind of just fucking knock it down, start again, wipe the slate clean, and go in a different direction try something different something new something fresh and if that means giving it to Arteta and giving him the time to do that because I do think you know there are plenty of people out there skeptical as much as we might be excited I think we have to acknowledge there are people out there who are very skeptical and for you know for good reason for obvious reasons and and we can't sit here and say no it's going to be brilliant in the same way that they can't sit there and say no it's going to be absolutely terrible you know who knows um but there is this there is this need to give it a bit of time. And I think if you bring somebody like Arteta in where there is no real measure of expectation, and if he can communicate the size of the job that's uh, ahead of him, I do think it gives us a bit of time and a bit of breathing space again because it's all felt very fraught for the last six to eight months at least. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it kind of reminds me of um, when Leicester got in Brendan Rodgers last season and there's there's not much to play for barring it get things getting really, really bad and Arsenal finding themselves in a relegation dogfight. And obviously it would be great if Arteta could do well in the Europa League, maybe win the thing and, um, you know, get back into the Champions League. But you're right that this sort of period between now and the end of the season is really got to be uh, a time for reflection, for reassessing the squad, for looking at players and saying, you know, who, who do we want to build around? Where does the next Arsenal team come? Whatever happens with Mesut Ozil, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, even players like Lacazette, Xhaka, Socrates, whoever, they're not the sort of future of this club. They're at best the sort of medium-term outlook. And mm. I think right now, this is a real opportunity for Arteta to just kind of have a long, hard look at this squad, um, you know, with one eye on the summer and whatever rebuild is required. And, you know, just for the stakes to be a bit lower, it, it st kind of feels like, you know, when you cover Arsenal, every game is nothing less than a sort of all-out must-win mm. or the manager's under never-ending pressure. And I even felt the case with Freddie, which I thought was dreadfully sad. Um, and I just hope, um, you know, from the sort of fans' perspective, I'm not one to tell fans how to support their team, but that everyone kind of just thinks, right, let's do the same thing Arteta's doing. Let's just watch and learn and not worry too much if we happen to lose away to Everton on Sunday or if, you know, we end, end the season in 12th. 
it's not the end of the world. Realistically, the Champions League is, is off the cards already for Arteta unless it comes through the Europa League. I think in in a way, it's best for Arteta really that he gets this sort of six month relatively low stakes run up at the job rather mm. than having to, you know, suddenly learn day one you need to start winning games. This could be really good for Arteta. Yeah, look, I mean, I think he does have to win games. I think that will be his aim, of course, and, and everything else. But you're right to say that, um, you know, it's not as if he's coming into a team that's in fifth and really trying hard to finish in the top four. You know, there there is a, you know, things have fallen apart. They've really fallen apart um, this season. So it, it will be interesting to see what he does, um, you know, over the course of this six months between now and May. And then, of course, what he does between between uh you know the summer and the the start of of next season but you get the sense don't you from everything that people have said about Arteta whether it's uh, Wenger Guardiola Pochettino um you know some of the stuff Arteta has said himself about what he wants to do in management and how he wants to approach the job and even some of the stuff that we've seen um come out about the way that he works at Man City with individual players and that kind of stuff that you know he he won't be going into this blind to the fact that there is one hell of a fucking job for him to do and a very difficult job for him to do you know he i think is a smart guy who's going to have a plan and and i suppose one of the things that gives me a little bit of is comfort the right word i don't know but maybe a little bit of hope or a little bit of optimism is that i don't think that in the discussions he has had with with arsenal before taking the job that he will have pulled any punches in terms of what he needs, what he expects, in terms of support from the club in the transfer market, backing in terms of the staff that he he uh, is given and all that kind of stuff. Like the scale of the job is not something that will be a surprise to him. So based on that and based on what he might have demanded from the club in order to take the job. And th- those are things I think that, you know, whether he went with Ancelotti, Vieira, Allegri, whoever it was, was going to come in and say, well, look, I need this. If you realistically want me to do this job as well as possible, I need X amount of money in the transfer market. I need this, that, and the other. So, you know, he won't be uh, alone in that. But I, I think if we are going to set out a long-term, medium to long-term plan about getting the club back to where it needs to be, I'm I'm slightly optimistic by the fact that Arteta hasn't run screaming um, in the distance or just, you know, stuck his head under the parapet and stayed there because he's got a very good job at City. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, you, you kind of look at the, the job that's ahead of him and you think, well, you'd have to have some degree of self-confidence to take it on because mm. there's no way I'd be, I'd be signing up for this job as is. I think also if you kind of remember the character that Arteta was as a player, you know, he is someone that... Um, demanded an awful lot from his teammates, even, you know, even before he was captain. You know, just as a uh, as a dressing room leader, he was not someone that was necessarily universally popular. I would say, certainly from what I've heard, because he was just he was not, you know, he was not the easiest, lightest person. I think he was, you know, a, a, a nice, honest guy, but. He was not necessarily someone that would could just switch off, and and he had that demanding aspect to him. So, mm. I'm I, I I think he's got he's certainly got the character for this job. Um, it's always t- in the end he still comes into this this job now with this squad that is is almost completely unbalanced. And it's interesting to think 
he got his, he, you know, he did his best work with the likes of Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sane. Now he's got Pepe to work with, and I'm excited to see how Pepe does under him. But that aside, there aren't any wingers to work with. You know, you've got two strikers. Good luck fitting them into one team. And um, what are you going to do about the centre backs? Yeah. So, you know, there's still an awful lot that he can't, you can't really expect Mikel Arteta or anyone else to uh, sort out those centre-backs, I think that's something that's incumbent on Sanye and Edu to look at themselves and go, how have we got to the position where we don't have anyone that a coach can really trust to play at the back? And that's the longer scale part of the rebuild. But, I don't know, I mean, he, he should knock a few heads together as well and uh, and make clear what he demands from, um, mm. from players. And that's exciting. It is. I, mean, I do think that um, instilling some discipline back in the squad is is going to be a key part of that. And you might say, well, how does a 37-year-old with no experience um, command authority in a dressing room? We've already seen the issue with Aubameyang's brother posting what he posted on on online. Um, and, you know, I think the best-case scenario there is that Aubameyang's brother is a fucking moron. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the worst-case scenario is that uh, this is part of a strategy to sort of move Aubameyang on in the summer because they're pretty much a camp, aren't they? The Aubameyangs, they yeah, th- they come together. So you know he won't be blind to what it was that his brother had posted. Um, you know, you you can say he he can't be responsible for it, but like you know they've been around football. Their dad was a footballer and a manager. You know they know how this stuff will go down. So. So that's a problem. I think you have a, a an issue with Xhaka as well, where there's this, you know, in in the midst of everything else that's been going on at the moment, we've lost sight of the fact that the former captain told the fans to fuck off as he was going off the pitch and never really apologised for it. He's pretty much unrepentant, and that that's something that Arsenal um, in the in the current regime have have basically tolerated and there were stories maybe they're apocryphal maybe they're just um, the kind of stuff that comes out when a manager leaves about you know the players perhaps viewing Emery as a bit of a soft touch a bit of a um, a character they could take the mick out of because because of his communication issues and, and everything else so there is a real need isn't there to instill some discipline some commitment and to to get the players um, focused on what's important which is Arsenal Football Club and not themselves and where they're going in their careers yeah I think this is the real tough thing that I wonder if Arteta or anyone else can really impact because you know let's take the Aubameyang thing here we know that Aubameyang is a hugely influential figure in the dressing room he's someone that the young players really look up to Um, how do you handle that I actually don't know because the sort of era where Arteta could kind of come in scream and shout at Aubameyang and say, you know, you're, I'm stripping you of the captaincy. This is disgraceful. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> well, that doesn't work anymore. And it, in the end, all he do then is alienate one of his star players. Um, but at the same time, you know, this squad has had over a decade for, or as long as they've been there, they've had the sort of touchy-feely, arm around the shoulder, are you okay? We believe in you. And ultimately what it's led to is a sort of, a kind of really worrying attitude among the squad where, you know, Xhaka feels like he can tell the fans to fuck off. Um, you know, we could talk at length about maybe Mesut Ozil's relatively lackadaisical attitude to, to training. And yeah, you have Aubameyang not feeling like he needs to 
slap his brother down on social media for uh, for you know criticizing the new manager before he's even in the in the job. This part of it is really tough, and actually, yeah. I think it, it's the most difficult thing to solve because so much of it comes back back to things like you've just got such an easy life living in in Hampstead commuting to St Albans and I don't I don't know what you how you fix that other than turning the training room into a sort of bed of nails or something um you know in the end if so, if anyone's going to be able to uh, appeal to this squad it's someone who both has a sort of track record of, of winning with Guardiola and can say look this is what Pep Guardiola asks of his team if you want to get to that level you need to do uh, what I ask of you it's still like I feel like maybe that that is one another job for Sanye and Edu is really looking deep into the makeup of this first team and going not just what's wrong with them on the pitch, but you know what has kind of happened to the attitude of some of these players. Is it is do we want them around? I hate using words like kind of bad apple, but mm. it, there's something about this group now that that means that they're kind of only heightening each other's mental problems they're making each other worse and do you need to sort of clear out a few of the most influential players and, and just start over yeah. but look that that stuff's on Sanye and, and Edu who yeah. I really think we kind of need to start seeing a bit more from no I agree I agree I think there's been a, a lack of leadership um from those people uh, throughout the end of uh, the Emery era if you like you know they sat in their hands for too long and you know they haven't really covered themselves with much glory even this week if you you know you want to talk about the way things are going with man city yeah. you know there there are just ways that you can do things which um make your life easier and more and more it seems we make decisions which make our life uh, more difficult um recruitment is going to be a key thing as well though isn't it because it has been a case that arsenal have spent money we can talk about um gross spend or net spend or all those kind of things but we have spent money it's just how that money has been spent that's um a key factor i think in in where we are there there are practical issues as well aren't there in terms of contracts when you look at ozil when you look at uh, obamiang obamiang's 30 um ozil is 31 um i think it would be fair to say if arsenal could move Mesut Ozil on tomorrow they would do that yeah. um it's not realistic now but maybe with 12 months to go on his contract a, a solution can be found so you know there was something quite telling wasn't there in the way that freddie yumberg made his changes in the man city game uh, you know we all knew the game was over but you know he put on three academy players and that was perhaps a, a hint to some of the senior players um it was maybe a show of faith and belief in the talent of of the likes of smith rowe saka and willock but it was maybe also a a message to those upstairs that arsenal are playing manchester city the expectation was low but but this is what we have to try and win games and change games and and that's not good enough so i i'm curious as to you know what your gut feeling is about what arteta will have demanded not necessarily in the long term but certainly in the short term you mentioned the central defenders like would you take this job if you didn't get some assurance that look we can get you at least one defender in january rather than have to work with the guys that are there right now who just you know aren't capable of doing what we need them to do oh this is a really difficult one everything i've kind of heard is that the, the cent central defender 
it won't happen unless they can sell at least one. Mm. Uh, obviously, Mustafi is available for anyone, and I think he's probably he's probably got to the stage where he might attract some interest. Um, I know there were a couple of clubs in in Germany and Italy that looked at him in the summer, but uh, he wasn't really interested in any of those deals. He was kind of quite happy to see out his contract at Arsenal. Um, if he can be moved on, I, I think there might be a possibility they move for someone. But, you know, Sanye and Edu, and Edu will look at this as a sort of raw numbers thing where they say we've got five centre-backs plus Mavropanos. Um, I would be I would be looking at that and saying, yeah, I, I need I need one better centre back at least because you know the, the, some of the some of the centre backs this season in in isolation have performed relatively well. Chambers has had good games. We know that Rob Holding can be a good centre back. Um, I mean, Socrates and David Luiz as a partnership is it, is terrifying. Um, <laughs> and I think you know just because he was eight million pounds doesn't change the fact that signing David Luiz was a, a waste of money. Uh, and quite a worrying decision to make because anyone could have told you, you know, this guy is hugely inconsistent and just what Arsenal don't need. Um, but they're going to have to move someone on. That that That's the sort of, you know, what I've heard. And I don't think they will have made Arteta any great promises for the, the January transfer window because there just isn't really that there's not a huge amount of money. If there's a sort of long term target becomes available and they can do business for him um, midway through the season, then, then I'm sure they would look to do so. But unless they can move players on, I don't see there being major uh, spending in, the, in January, which would worry Arteta. Yeah, well, look, best of luck to him in that regard then, because um, Silk Purse and Sow's Ear and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things I think that excites me a bit is that with Arteta, I feel like there will be a kind of defined style of play, which has been absent for quite some time at Arsenal, you know, even towards the end of the Wenger era where he was vacillating between, you know, back three and back four. Yeah. It never really felt like, it never really felt like Arsene believed in that formation. It just happened to be practical, you know, at a time when things were kind of falling apart for him towards the end. Similarly with, with Emery, as we know, um, and we've done this one to death, the, the sort of chopping and changing in terms of formation and system and the, the, the hyper-focus on the opposition ahead of the focus on your own team and what they can produce, I think, went too far the other way. So I, with Arteta, I'm really hopeful that, you know, we might not see it straight away, but I do believe that he will try and implement his own style um, and and drill them to create a kind of a platform on which you can then um, provide those sort of tactical tweaks as and when you need to, either within games or for specific games that you can approach in a different way. But just having that platform, having that baseline that everybody understands is going to be a key part of what he's he's brought in to do. Yeah, you, and you saw, saw that kind of reality that they didn't quite know what the baseline plan was kind of during Jungberg's era when when things went wrong when there was a change that needed to be made Arsenal players just didn't have anything to fall back on they didn't have an inherent knowledge of well this is how we play football um and you I really really felt that under Jungberg where it was kind of like he was just trying to teach them the basics all over again because they'd forgotten having the idea of having any real game plan beyond let's stop the opponents doing what they do best what what I find so odd about this is that you know, kind of 
Arsenal have got a, a, a view of what their playing style is. Um, you know, I, I spoke to people over the summer when we were on the tour who yeah. were sort of saying, yeah, we've actually defined how Arsenal should play football. And you go and look at the youth teams and it's either a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, but it's all the same. It's all about energetic pressing, uh, controlling possession really, really effectively. It kind of like... Uh, you know, a lot of these teams play with a player who's kind of like Arteta, a deep line playmaker who'll bring possession up. And it just, ne- Emery never quite had the, whether it's courage or just, you know, had that felt like he had the time to implement that with the first team. But it's just, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's really encouraging to see Arsenal hiring a head coach who has worked in a system that's very similar to the one that they want to run and who, as a player, was kind of one of the ideal players to fit into this system. He knows what it takes to be, you know, to do Granite, the, the, the job that Granite Jacker was supposed to be doing. He knows how to do that really well. Um, and again, hopefully if, if he's given this season as a sort of dry run, as a, as a chance to build that style, then, then that is absolutely the right thing to do. He can, you know, define Arsenal's playing identity, can come to understand which players work within that and which players just don't. Uh, can, you know, I'd be spending a lot of time looking at how do I fit a player like Lucas Torreira into this system? You know, we've seen him try to be this advanced pressing attacking midfielder and it's just not worked he would pro- I think Emery probably had a point when he said he's not the player to build up play from the back but he's also so talented that there's got to be some way of fitting him in um mm. but you know th- this is what I want to see from Arteta over the coming months is just you know the idea that there's a plan there he may have to look at different players and see who fits that plan better or worse um but just that there's, there's something being built towards whereas I think under Emery it was always like no, we've just got to win this game. We've just got to win this game. And then we'll scrabble into the top four and then we'll come up with an identity in year five. Just yeah. Now, if you don't have that, you just don't go places as a top team. Communication is something which is so important for, um, for managers, for football clubs, and for fans as well, because we're kind of on the receiving end of those communications and you know you've got plenty of experience of of sitting in Unai Emery press conferences which with you know the greatest of respect to him (laughs) were you know they were they were difficult because you could ask him something and he'd give you a big long answer you know a very wholehearted answer but it might not necessarily have been what you asked him um you know I think in recent times uh, and I'm going back to um a few weeks ago where communications came from the club where they talked about, you know, noise and external atmospheres and, and things like that. And, you know, even some of the stuff about uh, Obama Yang and, you know, uh, you know, who he allegedly had in his private box and all that kind of stuff, which turned out to be untrue. You know, they were examples of really poor communication from within the club. So when you when you have a manager who struggles to properly communicate and you have a club which is um, kind of shooting itself in the foot with some of its communications, you need to Im- improve that. You need to make improvements there. And um, Arteta, okay, he's a bit monotone, but um, what he says has always been um, fairly, um, fairly forthright, fairly upfront. And I think that's a, an area in which, in the very short term, we can see a real improvement from what's come in, in recent times. Yeah, I do agree. Um, I actually, unfortunately, never 
spoken to um, Mikel Arteta before. So for one thing, I'm really looking forward to just hearing from him. Um, and as you say, God, I, I mean, I don't care. Nothing can be worse than an Unai Emery press conference. Uh, I would like jinx that forever. <laughs> it can't. Nothing can be that disastrous. A, a lot of it, though, it strikes me that if you look at this model, you know, it's a model where the head coach coaches. He's not responsible for, you know, conversations around transfers and so every January and every summer I suspect we will ask, be asking these questions of Mikel Arteta and being told oh sorry mate that's not my job mm. um, I think one of the, the, the things that I find very frustrating about um, Arsenal is uh, that, that, that we've had so little communication from from Raul Sané and, and Edu I, I know that people were kind of quite critical of Ivan Gazidis when he held that press conference immediately after Arsene Wenger announced he was going and it, it did look a bit odd. The optics to it were odd and mm. didn't necessarily say anything that we didn't know already. But at least there was a principle there of at times, you know, where there's great pressure on the manager or, the, you know, or there is a managerial change, the senior people at Arsenal will, will front up and they will take ownership and they will explain the decision making. Like, we've had none of that from Edu or from Raul Sanye. We've had a little bit through the club from Josh Kroenke. Um but I think one of the things I, I I feel Arsenal need to learn from from what happened with Emery is that you can't have him as the sole focus, the sole spokesman for Arsenal. That worked when it was Arsene Wenger, and he was sort of willing to take to be the shield when things were going wrong. But you know, in the end, if you have a head of football and a technical director at some stage, doesn't need to be on, on a weekly basis. You know, they need to be explaining what is going on. They need to be giving fans a sense of the bigger picture here. Um, and, you know, ideally not just doing that through club channels, uh, yeah. ideally doing that, you know, whether that's, um, you know, uh, on television, podcasts, um, or <laughs> you know, through, through the press, which obviously would be my first choice. Um, but I think we need, we need to hear an awful lot more from the people that have really managed this decision. I know that, that Josh Kroenke was the one that greenlit Arteta's appointment, but however you term it, Husfami, uh, Raul Sanye, Vinay and Edu, they were the ones that made the decision to sack Unai Emery and then they got that greenlit by the Cronkies. They were the ones that made the decision to hire Arteta and it was greenlit by the Cronkies. We need to be hearing yeah. people that are actually making the decisions at Arsenal and it will be really tough on Mikel Arteta if he is suddenly made the sort of media shield that Wenger, um, Emery and even... Freddie Youngberg was and you could yeah. see within a matter of weeks it was grinding Freddie down it was really tough on him yeah. and I hope they don't put Arteta in the same position yeah it's been a bit of a feature of of recent times that when the going gets tough our football executives are nowhere to be found and you you mentioned yeah. the Gazidis press conference um and okay he came out and explained it but for months and months and months nobody saw yeah. sight nor sound of Ivan Gazidis. Raul Senyehi was quite happy to stroll across the Kenfriar Bridge at the start of the season, taking selfies and doing high fives with fans. And when things hit, you know, uh, a, a rocky patch, he's been nowhere, mm. you know? And um, I'm not sort of um, uh, excusing Emery's performance or, or anything like that. But, you know, again, we had the head coach just sort of left, hung out to dry with 
no communication whatsoever from from the club or the communication that we got was really poor you know via these these back channels but you're right these are the people making the decisions at the football club now the the, the, the head of football the technical director you know they don't have to hold a weekly press conference but they are people that we should hear from and uh, you know to to see Freddie you know come out and say some of the things that he said in the very short period of time that he's been in charge of the team and temporary charge of the team tells you a lot because, you know, I guarantee you that Freddie Jumberg cares a lot more about what happens to Arsenal than Raul Sanyehi does because yeah. of the history that he has and, and everything else. So, you know, if if he feels like he's got to say certain things, you know, he was quite prepared to do that. And I just sort of want to finish a bit on Freddie here because I know when Emery went, this famous concept of the the new manager bounce that every other club in the world seems to get, particularly the ones that we face immediately after they sack their manager, which seems to happen to yeah. us more than any any other team I can think of, didn't really materialize. But I think I think people perhaps underestimated the scale of just how bad things are and how difficult they are. And you know, when you ask a guy. Uh, to step up um, from the under-23s to the first team and just don't give him the required support in terms of staff that he needs to coach a football team to win games in the Premier League. Um, I, I really think people need to understand that. And I saw people being you know, critical of Freddie, and yeah, I know it's the world we live in, the online world we live in. There's always somebody out there who's going to have a go. But you know, I, uh, for me, Freddie's reputation over the last couple of weeks has been enhanced by the way he's carried himself, by the way that he's tried to do the job, by the things that he said, by the way he's acted with the players, some of the decisions that he's taken in games and before games and everything else. In really, really trying circumstances, I think he deserves a whole lot of credit, even if the results haven't been what we've wanted. I I couldn't agree more. I think he has has been put in a tremendously trying situation and... As much as I understand that Arsenal didn't want to bring it, give Jungberg a whole set of staff or a fortnight that they would then have to replace or whatever, I do think it was a real um, abjugation of responsibility mm. to leave Freddie in a situation where, I mean, you looked at the benches at Man City, Pep Guardiola had three assistant managers. Um, Freddie Jungberg had Per Mertesacker doing the, um, doing the water bottles and the second best... Um, goalkeeping coach at the club at the start of the season and that was pretty much it you know he's had to rustle people up from the youth team as well which is you know is not a good idea for these young players that you want to develop that they've lost their coaches um for a while and they've lost their head of the academy and you know he he has done most of that in a incredibly classy and respectful and dignified way he's carried himself in the way you would want an Arsenal head coach to do so and you know that he lost his kind of patience a little bit over the final few games is completely understandable because he he was put in such a difficult position and he still had all the problems that Emery had the squad was still unbalanced you know the the players still kind of don't really seem to understand how they want to play football. Um, you know, there's still, when he looks at the substitutes bench, as the minute a few injuries hit, he still is kind of basically left with a lot of kids, very competent, uh, capable young kids who could have a brilliant future. But, you know, still, Emil Smith-Rowe isn't going to turn the game for you against Manchester City. 
it's been incredibly trying times. I know we spoke about this on Twitter. I do worry that 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 some clubs, maybe not the smartest clubs, but some clubs will say, why would we want to hire Freddie Youngberg? He had a go at Arsenal and he couldn't do very much. Um, I hope that really hope that's not the case. Above all else, I hope Arsenal retain him. I know they would like to, uh, and I'm sure that as frustrated as as Freddie feel probably feels after the last few weeks, he will want to stay uh, eventually. Um, and Arsenal will make sure there's room for him on Arteta's coaching staff. I'm sure of that. Um, he has. I think he will have left uh, this role with his reputation hugely enhanced among Arsenal fans. I mean, you know, he was a legend for what he did on the pitch. But I think this is one of those those things that makes you, reminds you that there's always something a bit more to the the players that you hold in the highest regard. Um, and Freddie now for me is is really in that upper echelon just for the way he stepped into the fray. He took the hospital pass that no one else would have wanted. You know, it was the equivalent of someone flinging you the ball and a giant, uh, you know, New Zealand second row or whatever is bearing down <laughs> at you. And he took hit after hit after hit. He even did the Man City game, which was basically just getting pummeled in the uh, in the face for 90 minutes. Uh, and he did it all, um, you know, with real grace and he was a, a real pleasure. Um, and it's great to see him having this job, even if just for a while. Perhaps one day he'll have it on a permanent basis. I do hope, uh, I hope for most smart people, this has uh, enhanced his standing both within the club and, and as a manager. Yeah, yeah. The the point about him staying on, I think, is a, an important one because for years we've talked about, you know, this, this sort of concept of Arsenal DNA and whatever that might be, you know. Um, at the end of the day, though, to have people who actually care about the club and about its performance and about its standing in the game. And I think there were times where you listened to Freddie and you you felt like almost he was taking it quite personally because the Arsenal that he was part of was successful and that's what he wants for, for Arsenal to be. I think when uh, Arteta comes in, you know, he's not quite um, the legendary uh, mm. figure that... Um, Freddie was in terms of what the teams he played in achieved, but but let's not forget he was the captain of the club when we oh he wasn't he was it was Vermaelen wasn't it twenty fourteen but he was there he was the vice captain <laughs> but you know what I mean we we hadn't won anything for nine years and Arteta yeah. was part of that and part of that team that then won you know three FA Cups per Mertesacker again somebody who who came in I think you know Arteta and. Mertesacker, when you consider when they arrived, you know, that trolley dash in 2011 and, and what those two players in particular did for a team that was potentially going in the direction of where this team is going right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they came in and really steadied the ship. Both of them super, super professional. Like you could not meet two more professional players in terms of their approach to the game, their preparation, their outlook, all of that thing. I think they had a very positive effect on Arsenal um, at that period in time. And to have both of them now back at the club again, Mertesacker as academy manager, Arteta as head coach, it's quite interesting. It is I think above all else, what that what those two both have is that they are incredibly demanding individuals. I mean, you know, you, you, you see Mertesacker, um, you, you'd even see him at, at both as captain, but even now with the academy players, he is, he's asking them tough questions and he is, he's not willing to let anyone coast. I think, I think, you know, that is what those, those two brought when they came in that on that, you know, on those fateful days after the eight, two mm. was, there was just a sort of 
uh, a raising of standards and players came in that, that looked around and said, you're Arsenal, this isn't good enough. And I don't really think there's been anyone in the squad um, this season that has kind of had that attitude. And maybe they, the Arsenal will need someone in the dressing room who does the same thing. But ultimately, it can only be a good thing that you have two two senior figures at Arsenal now who whose own expectations of the club are potentially a little bit beyond where Arsenal are now, who will look at you know the state of the first team or, or maybe the attitude of some of the players and say, Sorry, that's not good enough. We we said throughout the Arsenal Wenger era, this this club, you know, in the highest levels, just needs people that know the club well, um, and they are really getting towards that position. And um, I think it can only be a good thing. You look at how successful it, it is in Germany with Bayern Munich or uh, or other clubs like that. Having play having senior members of staff who really understand what's unique about Arsenal and what it takes to be successful at Arsenal. It's only going to be a good thing. I don't see how this can, that, that side of it, I don't see how it can uh, backfire. Mm. Okay, well, look, we're about to enter a brave new world, uh, hopefully. Uh, and so far, James, you'll be glad to know that Marcelino has not been appointed <laughs> manager. So fingers crossed the podcast curse uh, hasn't taken place. As always, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a million. Cheers, Andrew. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to James. He is on Twitter at James Benj, at James Benj. And you can read his stuff, of course, on Football London, just to give you an update of where we are as things stand in the world of Arsenal, Arteta, appointments, confirmation, official news. It is now five past five on Thursday evening. I've just come back in from a walk with the dogs. It's pissing rain. It feels like it has been pissing rain in Ireland for about, I don't know, um, seven years at this point. I know it's not been quite that long, but it feels like it. And when you've got two big dogs that need to go out every day, it gets on top of you a little bit. I know there are many places in the world, people listening to this right now, in certain parts of the world that are baking alive. Hope you're all doing all right down there. Um, that would kill for a bit of rain, but, you know, it is what it is. If we could send it to you, we would. We would take some of your heat and we will give you some of our rain, but unfortunately, that's not the way it works. So, what I'm going to do for now is just stop recording here. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to bake some cheese, and I'm going to bake some bread. And then I'm going to take the bread and dip it in the melted cheese, and I'm going to eat that. 
and I'll check back in in a while and see if they've confirmed anything at that point. They probably won't have, but who knows? I'll check back in in a while, but it will feel momentary to you here as you're listening to this. Right, it's now 12 minutes past six, and still Mikel Arteta has not been confirmed as the new head coach of Arsenal. I'm beginning to think, folks, that this might take place tomorrow. Arsenal were due to have a press conference today, Thursday, but cancelled it for Friday. You would assume that that would be the opportune moment in which they can introduce or reintroduce Mikel Arteta back at Arsenal. I have to say I'm very curious as to what it is he is going to say, how he's going to lay out his vision for what the job entails, what he would like the job to be, what he wants Arsenal to get back to, how he's going to do that, who his staff are going to be. There's going to be a hell of a lot going on. So we'll cover all that, of course, on the website, on Arsblog and Arsblog News. So make sure you've got your bookmarks, of course, the Arsblog apps, which you can download for iOS and Android. And look, we'll cover all the bits and pieces around Mikel Arteta as and when they happen, assuming that they happen at all. You know, it could be a case that this gets pushed out to, I don't know, sometime 2021. That's the way it feels right now. But hopefully... Hopefully, by this time tomorrow, anyway, 18.15 in the evening, we will have a new head coach and we can start looking ahead to, hopefully, a bright new future. Of course, Freddie is going to be in charge at Goodison Park on Saturday, Saturday morning, early kickoff there, or early afternoon kickoff. So, with Arteta watching on, with maybe Carlo Ancelotti watching on from an Everton point of view, it's going to be an interesting afternoon. And hopefully, I think, you know, if this is to be Freddie's last game in charge, it would be great if these players could, you know, take their fingers out of their arses and give him the win that I think he deserves for the way that he's uh, conducted himself and looked after the team, or at least tried to look after the team in the, the very trying and difficult circumstances that we found ourselves in. And of course, if you read the media, if you read some of the reports that are going around, basically all our players want to leave. So, you know, we'll wait and see what they produce on, on Saturday. And maybe we can drive some of them to the airport if they don't do it. I'm sure Arteta won't be slow about uh, about letting people know either where their future lies. So um, that's just about that. That is the last Arscast regular before Christmas. So whether you celebrate that or not, I would like to A, say thank you very much indeed for being with us throughout the year and for downloading and listening and subscribing and sharing and telling people to listen to the podcast. We appreciate it so much. All your support uh, here and on Patreon, it means the absolute world to us and it helps us keep doing everything that we do here on the site and on the podcast. And there's plenty more to come as well. So whatever you're up to, um, I hope you have a, a fine time, a happy time, a peaceful time. Try and shut out some of the bad stuff that's going on. Apart from Arsenal, we can't shut that out. We don't have a choice. I mean, we do, of course, but, you know, you ju- you can't. You just can't. So spend it with family and friends and people you love and uh, have a great time. James and I are going to be here with an Arsecast Extra on Monday, but because of various bits and pieces that are going on, we are not going to be recording that until Monday afternoon, late Monday afternoon or potentially Monday evening. So we will have another podcast for you before uh, before Christmas. Uh, in the meantime, let's keep fingers crossed for a good Arsenal win this weekend. Let's hope the Mikel Arteta era gets off to uh, a winning start, even if he's not going to be in charge of that first game. Do it for Freddy, you fuckers. 
And uh, we'll catch you on Monday. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. London Plains. The year is 2047. Most of human existence has been wiped out. I, of course, am still alive, as are these strange, magical creatures previously known as Arsenal fans. They somehow have survived the apocalypse through sheer obdurate stubbornness. Nobody quite knows why. As life on this fragile planet continues to decline, somehow their numbers multiply. The males perform a complex mating ritual, swishing their mighty tails and singing this beautiful song as we can hear. This flock below us, which numbers now just in the dozens, will swell to many thousands by the end of the mating season. Nobody now remembers who or what an Arteta is, but these magnificent creatures will ensure his legacy lives on forever. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.